Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, would you remain standing as we pray together and give him the praise that he is due? God, we give you praise for the gospel today. God, we give you thanks that there's no guilt in life and no fear in death because of what you've accomplished for us through your substitutionary death and resurrection. And we pray, God, that in Esther chapter 4, as we consider your word, that you would challenge us to to embody that reality in our lives, God, the totality of our lives surrendered to you, for you are worthy of it. And we ask you would help us in it, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I tell you, I wish we could find some instrumentalists around here and some vocalists, some people who knew how to sing and play. Goodness gracious, what a blessing that was. Yeah, amen. I'm, uh, I'm so thankful for... Um, the volunteers that make North Roanoke work. I mean, ultimately, it's God that makes it work, and people volunteer because God has placed a call upon your life. But from the, the greeters uh, to the musicians to the ushers to the deacons to the Sunday school teachers to the preschool workers to the people upstairs right now with the kids uh, to the people in the back uh, running live stream and pro presenter and sound, it takes a lot of people to do what we do every week, and I am just grateful uh, for how God puts together a team for His glory, and thankful for every single one of you who chips in uh, to make it all work out, and today we are in Esther chapter 4, Esther chapter 4, and I want to speak to you on the subject of risking it all in faith, risking it all in faith. One of my favorite plays in football, in particular college football, because I, pro football left me behind a long time ago. Um, I'm a Redskins fan, and now I don't even have a team. Um, so, one of my favorite plays in college football, whether it succeeds or fails, is the fake punt. I, I appreciate the fake punt because it involves the very real risk, if the play fails, of, of losing the game. You know, by the time you need to run a fake punt to win, that if you fail in the fake punt, you're probably going to lose. But, if you succeed, you just might flip the entire game on its head, change the momentum, and come back and win. The game is is nearly out of reach, and a a failed play means you're going to lose, but if it succeeds... There's a chance. We, we see a similar situation unfolding in Esther chapter 4. The decree of the death of the Jews has gone out. And Mordecai and Esther are the only people who are positioned to do anything about it. Of course, God, as we've already seen, has been working by the scenes, uh, behind the scenes, allowing Esther to be positioned where she is, where she's even going to be able to risk everything in faith to save God's people. We know that His promises and his plan will ultimately prevail. But just because God's promises and plan are going to prevail does not mean 
that he doesn't want us to be involved in it. In fact, he's welcoming us. He's inviting us to join in what he is doing in the world. And that means to, to go all in. It means to take the risk, to risk all that we are and all that we have in faith. In Landon Dowden's commentary on Esther chapter 4, or on the book of Esther, speaking about chapter 4, he says, when God rewards his people in heaven for faithful service, some of us will miss out because we were fearful rather than faithful. Our fearfulness and passivity and selfishness, meaning wanting to preserve ourselves rather than to spend ourselves for the glory of God, that's not going to thwart God's ultimate plans, but it will diminish our eternal rewards. And I don't know about you, I I want some eternal rewards. And I think the greatest reward we can have is is to be in the presence of Christ. And I don't understand how eternal rewards are going to work out. There's one theologian who suggests it's going to be our capacity to understand and appreciate the glory of God when we get there. And I want as much capacity to behold the wonder and the mystery and the beauty of God as I possibly can. Because He is our everything. So let's, let's see In this crisis moment, remember, last chapter, the death of the Jews has already been decreed. The promises of God are on the line. If the Jews are eliminated from the face of the earth, so too is God's promise to bring His Son through the Jews. So this this crisis moment gives us an opportunity to see Mordecai and Esther risking everything, or their journey toward risking everything to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Would you join me in reading, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4? We'll just read the first three verses to get started. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, Wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and in ashes. I want to show you first, church, from these three verses that we need to allow the deadly realities of this world to drive us to broken dependence upon the Lord. The world wants to take people out. The world wants to consume your life. The world wants to to kill the people of God and and destroy the joy that God intends for people to have and to prevent them from getting to Christ. And we need to let this reality drive us to broken dependence upon the Lord. In verse 1, Mordecai learns about what has been decreed against the Jewish people and he laments. He, He literally rips his clothes to pieces and he puts on sackcloth and ashes, which are signs of grief and despair and anguish and mourning. Sackcloth was made of Black goat's hair. It was very coarse and it was very uncomfortable. Not something you want to slip on before you go to bed for the night. Ashes signified desolation and ruin. And sackcloth and ashes could also signify repentance. Do you remember the story of Jonah? When he takes the message of God's destruction to Nineveh. And the king of Nineveh says, hey, let's put on sackcloth. Let's lay in ashes. Who knows? Maybe God would spare us. Maybe if we turn to God at this last minute, he would deliver us. And Mordecai is grieving what's happening to his people. He's beginning to experience a turn in his life where he's acknowledging that he is desperate for God. And ultimately, only God can deliver him. 
His identity that he's been concealing for the last five years is no longer private and neither is his grief. Verse 1 tells us he goes out into the city and cries out with a loud cry. Wailing. This is the cry that you cry when you learn that someone has passed away unexpectedly. It's a deep cry. God, everything is on the line. And I don't know what to do. And then in verse 2, he gets as close as he can to Queen Esther, his adopted daughter, without breaking the law. He goes up to the king's gate, but no further, because you can't wear sackcloth inside of the king's gate. We, we shouldn't be surprised by that, right? The kingdoms of this world are all hung up on appearances and maintaining appearances. The world wants everything to look like it's fine, even when it's really not. And I'm so glad we serve a king that we don't have to pretend with, that we don't have to lie to. That when you come into North Roanoke Baptist Church, we are an, we're an outpost of the kingdom of God. And we represent the king of kings. And he says, if you're broken, if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're despondent, if you're at the end of your rope, you're right where I can use you. So you walk in those doors and you sit in these pews and we cry out to God knowing that it doesn't matter where we are. He still wants to use us. The kingdoms of this world or about appearances, but the King of Kings is about embracing us where we are and adopting us as children of the Father through the shed blood of Jesus. I praise God we can be honest with our King about our brokenness. Notice Mordecai is keeping Persian law even as he refuses to bow down to Haman. He's keeping the law of an empire that is turned against him. Which suggests to us, if you were here last week, we're kind of uncertain. Is Mordecai not bowing down because he's prideful or because he's making a righteous stand? And we're kind of uncertain in chapter 3, but we see in chapter 4 that he's keeping all the rest of the laws of the kingdom. Which suggests to us that he's striving to honor God in his citizenship while resisting an evil man who is set against God and his people. For nearly five years, Mordecai has concealed his identity. Esther becomes the queen in the seventh year of King Ahasuerus' reign. And now this decree is made in the twelfth year of his reign. And he's been concealing his identity. But now he's in the middle of the city crying out because God's people have been targeted by a decree of death. The threat to his life and the life of God's people has reawakened him to who he really is. No more concealing who I am. And maybe some of you here this morning, maybe some of you listening online, maybe you've been through a year of COVID and God has been waking you up to who you really are. Maybe God has been saying, you know what, it's time to go all in for the gospel and to say, I belong to Jesus and I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what. What is it going to take, church? What's got to happen in our day for us to wake up? I mean really wake up and really live like everything is about Jesus and for Jesus and unto Jesus. That my marriage is for Jesus, that my parenting is for Jesus, the house that I own is for Jesus, the cars that I own are for Jesus, the hobbies that he's entrusted to me and the passions that he's given to me and the loves that I have, they are for Jesus. What is it going to take to wake us up to whose we are and why he has saved us? It isn't 
just Mordecai who's waking up to the deadly realities of the world and to the joy and the hope that we have in being able to go in desperation to a great God. The, the whole people of God, the Jews throughout the empire, they're fasting. They too are in sackcloth and lamenting. Fasting helps us have an appropriate desperation for God in our praying. If you've never fasted, I want to encourage you to try. I'm telling you, it'll transform your praying. Because there's something about the, the hunger that we feel physically that reminds us how much more we are desperate spiritually for Jesus Christ, the bread of life. They are weeping and lamenting. Lamenting is the response of God's people to suffering. As Christians, Dowden says this, we are to deal with suffering by directing our despair, not away from God, but toward God. When we mourn and grieve what we face in this world, we do so knowing that God is nevertheless with us. The word in verse 3, lay, laying down in sackcloth and ashes. This, this word lay is very infrequently used in the Old Testament, but it occurs in Psalm 139, verse 8, when David says this. It's a familiar passage. If I ascend to heaven, Lord, you're there. If I make my bed, the same word, lay. If I lay in Sheol, Lord, you are there. Church, no matter where you go, no matter what you face, no matter where you've been, if you belong to the Lord, if you're in a situation you got in, even because of yourself, God's still there and He can work in the midst of your desperation. Now in this story, there's no mention of praying, but that doesn't mean God's people are not praying. They're, they're fasting, which is a longing for God's deliverance more than the food of this world. But depending on God, I want you to see this church, it's not enough just to be desperate for God. It's not enough to just see the realities of this world, the deadly realities of this world. It's, it's not enough for those things to happen. We must also take decisive and sacrificial action that is consistent with God's plan and His promises, which is what we'll begin to see next, starting in verse 4. Would you read with me from 4 down to verse 9? When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it, to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. I want to show you in these few verses this, this truth. Church, we must understand God places us. He, he positions us. He knows where we are right now and he puts us in places to be used in fulfilling his plan to bring Jesus to the world. If the Jews are eliminated, 
There's no way to get Jesus born through the Jews to the world. Everything is at stake. When the queen learns Mordecai has been wailing in the center of the city and is now at the king's gate in sackcloth, she is deeply distressed and so she sends him a change of clothes. As though a change of clothes is going to change the situation. One pastor writes this, it's, it's almost as if her concern was to stop her relative from making an exhibition of himself, not to deal with whatever issues were causing his distress. Mordecai, you'll notice, refuses the clothes. This is a situation that new clothes are not going to solve. Now, to Esther's credit, maybe she just wanted to give him a way to get inside the king's gate, right? He's in sackcloth. I'll give you some clothes so you can get in the king's gate and you can talk to me. We're not entirely sure her motivation, but Mordecai's goal is, to, is not to get a new set of clothes from the royal tailor. His goal is to get Esther's attention. He wants Esther to ask good questions, but she wants to only offer, at this point, easy answers. Aren't we like that? We always want easy answers. Just a little tip, a little quick fix but we don't really want to surrender and sacrifice. But you see, church, God's salvation does not often come by way of quick fixes and easy answers. It comes, as we will see in this text, by way of surrender. If Jesus had to go to the cross to save us, we ought not be surprised that we have to go to the cross as we follow Him. We sense in these verses that, that Esther is isolated. She doesn't have a clue what's going on with Mordecai. She doesn't know what's going on with God's people. Jews throughout the empire are mourning the decree of their death, and Esther thinks Haman just needs a change of clothes. Which is a warning to us, church, about spiritual isolation. Why do I need to be in church? Why do I need to be in a small group? Why do I need to have people who hold me accountable to the things of God in my life? Because when you get isolated and insulated from what God is doing in the world and the people of God, you end up forgetting about it. You end up being outside of what God is doing and you don't even know how to respond in the world. So Esther is serving as a warning to us. She's She's compromised, she's concealed her identity, she's compromised who she is as a child of God, and she has no clue what's going on. There's a decree of death that's gone out across the empire, and she tries to solve it with a change of clothes. When Mordecai refuses the new clothes, Esther sends Hathak, verses 5 and 6, one of her attendants, to determine what he's so upset about, and, and Mordecai does not disappoint, does he? He tells, he tells Hathak exactly what's up. In verse 7, he tells him all that had happened to him, including the amount of the bribe and the content of the decree. He even has a copy of the decree to give to Hathak. Mordecai, even though his death has been decreed for 12 months later, still has some great sources of information in the king's court. And here's what he has concluded. The adopted daughter that I was trying to protect by concealing her identity, the only hope that we have is that she goes public with who she is and she goes to the king. It's time to run a fake punt. So in verse 8, Mordecai commands the daughter that he had previously ordered to conceal her identity to instead disclose her identity and to go to the king and to beg his favor and to plead with him on behalf of her people the Jews. Mordecai's plan is a long shot. 
the decrees of the Persian Empire could not even be overturned by the king. They were irrevocable decrees. But in human terms, this is the only play in the human playbook that they've got. So it's time to run it. For God to use Esther, she's going to have to be willing to risk her life. And Mordecai wonders, he's beginning to wonder, as we'll see later, has God uniquely placed Esther? Has all of this happened for her to be the queen of Persia? For her now to be willing to risk her life and take one bold strategic shot for the glory of God and His saving purposes in the world? What if God has allowed this to happen so that Esther could put her life on the line for the glory of God. And that raises a question, does it not, for you and for me and for North Roanoke? What is he entrusted to you? What is he entrusted to me? What is he entrusted to us to deploy and to steward well and to be willing to lay down for the glory of Jesus? And here's the question, will you do it? Will you do it? Let's keep reading. Verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any, if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there's only one law, there's but one law, to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. What, what, do we, what can we get out of these two verses? Here, here's what I want you to see, church. We must understand the costs of living for King Jesus and getting him to the nation. There's a cost, there's a price to be as we read Esther, we've got to keep in mind this, this story is more than about the decree of death for the Jewish people. It's a story about how God purposes to bring Jesus to the world in a way that it could be recognized as God's promised son. And the risks that Mordecai is asking Esther to take could not be greater. So in verse 10, Esther sends Hathak back to Mordecai to clarify just how insane his plan sounds to her. Her, her reply to what Mordecai has to say is, you're crazy. You are T-total crazy. Verse 11, she reminds Mordecai of something that he already knew. To go to the king uninvited is to be put to death. Furthermore, it is something everyone knew around the king and in the provinces. Everybody knew you don't just go into the king without an invitation. So Esther says to her adoptive father, you were trying to protect me these past five years, and now you want me to go on a suicide mission? Maybe you've got a better idea. And you know, church, we could, we could be critical of Esther right here. We could be critical of her hesitation, her initial failure to be willing to risk her life, to be a part of God's plan, but at least she counts the cost. And I submit to you, we live in a world where there are people who listen to live streams and podcasts and sit in pews and they sing in congregations, but they've never actually counted the cost of following Jesus. 
They've never actually said, Jesus, I surrender my all to you. All to you I owe. She understands in this moment that living for God and the good of His people and the glory of His Son will cost her potentially everything. Everything. Where I live, what I do, everything. Salvation would eventually come through a crucified Savior and church, a Savior who saves those who follow Him by going to the cross, calls us to follow Him in the way of the cross. We should not be surprised that salvation that comes through a crucified Savior would include what Jesus says to us before He gets to the cross. If anyone, not just preachers, not just missionaries, Not just the super Christians in our life that we read Christian biographies about. If anyone of us today would follow Jesus, if anyone would come after me, this is what Jesus says. Not the preacher, this is what Jesus says. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life Whoever spends his life for my sake will save it. We believe that, church. To follow Jesus and be used by God for his glory, we've got to be willing to lose our lives for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. And if we must be willing to lose our lives for Jesus and the gospel's sake, surely we must be willing to lose our lives for lesser things. What is it that God would call you to lay down so that you could take up more of him esther has done more than many who think they are following jesus she has added up the costs of living for god and getting others to jesus and she has found that the costs are very very high and here's the question the text poses will she put her life on the line for the lord and his people or will she cave in to fear let's keep reading verse 12 And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But if you and your father's house, excuse me, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows? Whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows? God hasn't put you right where you are in this moment to be spent for the glory of God. Here's what I want to show you in these last few verses, church. We must seize the moments that God gives to participate in His plan by denying ourselves. We must seize the moments that God gives to us to be a part of His plan by denying ourselves. In these verses, Hathak must feel like a ping pong ball, right? Hey, go to Esther. Esther, go to Mordecai. Ding, 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 ding. Enough of it already. So so in verse 12, you'll notice we read the little preposition they. I, I don't know why it says they instead of just Hathak or him. Here's what I think happened. I think Hathak grabbed somebody else. He's like, I'm sick of this. Hey, you go with me. I need you to validate this conversation because I don't want to be spending the rest of my life doing this back and forth thing between Esther and Mordecai. 
So they go, and they deliver Esther's message, and I'm going to summarize, I'm going to paraphrase her message. Mordecai, you crazy. You're nuts. Then verse 13, Mordecai sends them right back with another message. And here's what Mordecai says. Do you really think you're not going to die? You really think they're not going to figure out who you are? I'm your adoptive father. I'm the one who started this ruckus. Everybody knows who I am. Do you really think that somehow you're going to escape all this? And then in verse 14, Mordecai tells Esther, God's people are going to be delivered with or without her. But if she doesn't seize this moment, she will die and her family line will be cut off from the people of God because she was unwilling to risk her life to be a part of God's saving plan in the world. In other words, either way, Esther is facing a loss. What do you want to lose? Do you want to lose belonging to God and being a part of His plan? Or do you just want to lose your life? Do you want to miss out on the blessings that come to those who are willing to lay down their life and give it all over to God, no matter how risky the blessings of God and the lives of His people, church, come on the far side of sacrificial obedience? It's the long game. We keep serving, we keep loving, we keep sacrificing, we keep believing, we keep trusting, we keep giving, we keep doing whatever it is that God has positioned us to do, knowing that the blessings are on the far side of obedience. When He returns, we just sang about it just a little bit ago, in robes of white, we will have our reward. And in the meantime, the reward that we have is knowing the presence of Christ. And do you want to know the presence of Christ in your life? Guess The moments in my life, this is just anecdotally, experientially, when I most am aware of the presence of Christ in my life, it's when I am spending my life for Him and His glory. When you are identifying with who He is, when you are living by faith sacrificially, God, I don't know what you're doing, I don't know what you're calling me to, I don't know why this hurts so much, but you hurt so much more for me, and I am spending my life for your glory and asking you to use it no matter what. What you get in those seasons, the blessings of God's presence like nothing else. If Esther chooses selfishly, she will die and God will judge her and she'll miss out on being a part of God's plan in the world. But even if she fails to seize seize this opportunity, Mordecai suggests that God's plan is not going to be stopped. In verse 14, without mentioning God's name, he clearly refers to God. And he says, look, if you don't do this, we're still going to find help, relief, and deliverance from another place. The people of God will be prospered by God himself. In this context, there's no other place that Mordecai could be referring to. If the king's decree can't even be reversed by the king of Persia, then there's no other place for help to come from other than God himself, other than Yahweh, the Lord. And what a God he is. Psalm 95 says, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. He's got the whole world in his hands, and he can help 
however he chooses. But if Esther fails to act, God will still stand. He will still keep his promises. But for Esther to have a a share in the saving work of God, she's got to be willing to lose her life. To join in God's work in the world, she's got to step out in sacrificial faith. The unstoppable nature of God's plan, church, does not absolve us of the responsibility to participate in it. Esther has to do more than understand the risks and the cost. She needs to embrace them as evidence that God loves her and is inviting her to join in His work. Here's the bottom line, church. If you never really have to give up anything to follow Jesus, you should probably be asking if you're really following Jesus. At the end of verse 14, Mordecai asks what I call the money question. Who knows? Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Church, here's my prayer today. That through this message that God would help you hear that question in your own life. No matter where you are, no matter how you got there, no matter how long you've concealed your identity and compromised your walk with Jesus, no matter what failures you have been snared by, where has He placed you right now to be spent for the glory of Jesus and the good of those He wants to save? And let me tell you something, church. God calls everyone who follows King Jesus to this sort of sacrificial faith. Every single one of us. Some of us are are terrified of leaving behind church as you've always known it so that others in the future might be one to King Jesus as they see the unifying power of the gospel on display. And Jesus is calling you to step out and to step up and lay down some assumptions for the glory of Christ right now at North Roanoke Baptist Church. It's time. Perhaps he's going to lead in your personal lives. Maybe he's going to lead someone to understand the unique joy of surrendering your life, spending your life for His glory and joining in His plan, giving Him everything you are, your career, your bank account, your mind, your will, your emotions, your calendar, your very being, and saying, God, it is all yours. Perhaps God is is calling you to step forward in your family, your workplace, your marriage, or in the contemplation of your career and how God wants to use you. I am praying that God would have five missionary units, and our entire staff is praying that we would have five missionary units on the ground or in training by 2030 to give their lives, to spend their lives among a people who would otherwise not be able to hear the gospel and know the name of Jesus. I am praying that God would call some of us out to take a special risk for the glory of God, to leave behind comfort and family and convenience and even risk your life in a country where it's illegal to speak the name of Jesus so that others might be rescued by Jesus. Do you believe God can do that in this church? Do you believe that He can use you in a profound and a deep way as a part of His saving plan in the world? He can He can use a woman who concealed her identity and compromised her convictions and married a Persian king to save God's people and get his son to the world. He can use you. What opportunities is God giving to you where you are right now to be deployed for his glory? What sacrifices the Spirit of God might be calling to mind? 
There's things that I'm holding on to that he's asking me to lay down to be used by him right now. What sacrifices are standing in the way of you saying yes to Jesus right now? And let me ask you, as you write those things down, either in your mind or even in your Bible or on a notepad right now, are those things really sweeter? Are they really greater? Are they really more valuable or precious to you than Jesus Christ and knowing him and following him? What does God want you to lay down so that you can take up the presence of God and take him to others like never before? North Roanoke, we are facing our own Esther moment. Churches of our size and our history and our age and our situation are facing an Esther moment as we emerge from COVID. All across this land. And history books will be written about what churches like ours did with the moment. A question is being posed to us, what if God has placed you where you are in this season for the glory of Christ? What if He is calling us to see our positions of influence and our past and our preferences as something that we will lay down no matter what because Jesus is greater? What if whatever He asks, He is calling us to be spent for the glory of God and the good of those who don't yet know him will we north roanoke baptist church like esther was tempted to do hang on to what is comfortable while god's plan and mission pass us by or will we align our hearts with the heart of god by being united in our worship and in our love and care for one another and in our pursuit of his mission in roanoke and around the world will we deny ourselves and die to our preferences for the glory of christ or will we miss our moment and the opportunity his he is now giving us to be a part of his saving work in the world what will we choose What will the historians write? On Palm Sunday, the true king marched into Jerusalem. People hailed him as a conqueror and praised him as God's saving king, and they were right to do so. What they didn't understand, however, is how he would save. He wouldn't save by wearing a golden crown, but instead a crown of thorns. He would give his life for us so that we would be free to give our lives for him. And when we bow to this king of kings and have our sins forgiven, church, it saves us. It it changes us. It, It leads us to hold our lives and our preferences loosely. It makes us understand that true fulfillment comes when we live for King Jesus by living like King Jesus. Doing whatever it takes to be deployed for the glory of God and the good of those who are yet to know His Son. When Jesus gets our hearts, we spend the rest of our lives unearthing the selfishness that resides there and learning to be selfless. We spend the rest of our lives learning to take up our cross and follow Jesus, discovering the joy and the wonder that the way up in this life is actually the way of the cross. I pray, church, that God finds us faithful in this moment that He's given to us. It's a moment that will not ever come back again. To live for Jesus in a broken world, we've got to let the deadly realities of this world drive us to broken dependence on the Lord. We must recognize where God has placed us to be used in fulfilling His plan to bring Jesus to the world. 
We must understand the cost of living for King Jesus. And finally, we must seize the moments God gives us to participate in His plan by denying ourselves for His glory. Wherever you are, wherever He's placed you, will you seize the moment? I pray by God's grace that you will. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that whatever treasures of this world stand between us and being poured out like a drink offering, as Paul said, for your glory, whatever stands between us and presenting ourselves to you as living sacrifices, God, that you would give us the freedom today to lay it down. Maybe, maybe there would be some in this room who, who feel compelled to come to the, to the front and just to pray, God, there's this thing that I'm hanging on to. There's this relationship or this situation that I'm hanging on to. There's this thing that I really want in life that you're asking me to release. God, I pray that you would give liberty in this room, Holy Spirit, that you would move in such a way that that whatever is standing between us and being poured out for your glory, that you would remove it from us and cause us to delight in Christ all the more. Jesus, you are worth everything. You are worthy of our very lives. And I pray, God, that you would give us the liberty to see how great it is to be poured out for your glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.